Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Nate Ryan here with Jeff Burton in the NBC Sports Charlotte studios with another post-race edition of the podcast. Jeff, we're talking Dover International Speedway race on May 16th, won by Alex Bowman. But I think we'll start with the most notable part of this race, Hendrick Motorsports, the first one, two, three, four finish for Hendrick in its team history. Only the fourth time in cup history that's been done and the first in the cup series since Roush Fenway Racing, I know team you have some knowledge of, they did it in 2005 uh, at the season finale at Homestead Miami Speedway. So just to give you a little context, Hendrick has only been a four car team uh, since 2004. So first one, two, three, four finish in essentially 17 years uh, that they've been able to do that. But you know, what, what's your first reaction to that when you hear that Hendrick Motorsports for the first time ever in what, 30, seven years of history has a one, two, three, four finish. Well, the first thing I think about is two years ago when we were talking about what's wrong with Hendrick, yeah. right? And, and we, we had this expectation level of Hendrick that's pretty high. We, we expect to see them contending for championships, uh, winning a lot of races. Now, to, me, to me, in the era that I raced in, Hendrick was the most dominant team out there. And that faded, you know, that faded over time. And, and it was, they didn't jump right back into it. They had to work themselves back into it and now here they are. And they also invested, you think about what they did, they invested in a lot of youth, right? So they took brought a lot of young drivers and that has cultivated into a very young team yeah. with a lot of winners on it, heading in the right direction. This is the opposite of what we were talking about two years ago. I think Hendrick Motorsports is repositioning themselves to be dominant force. They won the championship last year with Chase Elliott now Chase Elliott's the only guy that hasn't won a race this year, and Alex Bowman's won too. I know Chase Elliott fans think, well, that's not good, but it is good. If the guy that won the championship for you last year is the guy that's not winning this year and everybody else has stepped it up, that's a good thing. Now, yeah. if Chase Elliott was running 20th every weekend, that what that's not. But Chase Elliott's running okay. He's not been winning, not running what we expect him to do, but, but that's a good problem for a team to have. It's almost impossible to have all four clicking. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. really, really yeah. difficult. Yeah. But I just, I just, I think a reversal of where we were two years ago. That's the first thing that pops in my brain. And you know, to your point, you know, it's one thing to have four fast cars. I think that happens fairly often. But to have four fast cars combined with four very well executed races, yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing, and it's very hard to do. Chase Elliott said after the race that every, any team can have four fast cars, but to have four fast cars with four well-executed races where no one is making mistakes or speeding or you know falling a lap down, 
that's what might have been so impressive about this performance. Yeah, that's right. And track position was really important. And, yeah. and so clearly the, all the pit crews did their jobs. I mean, you can say, well, Kyle Larson's didn't do his job. Alex Bowman beat him out. Fair enough. Alex Bowman's pit crew has been the best on pit road all year long. If you look at the average pit road stop, Alex Bowman and that 48 team, they've been the best. Uh, so, you know, that's what racing's about, right? It is yeah. a team sport. We've talked about it for years. But I would say a clean race for everybody. And that's, that's hard to do. I mean, when you're a car owner, I always feel bad for car owners because, <laughs> you know, one guy is really happy and the other guy on your team is not. And, like, it's hard to just leave the track saying, yes, I feel really good. Yeah. But on that day, Rick Hendrick certainly had to. There's a lot for Rick Hendrick to be happy about right now. Namely, that he is on the cusp of more NASCAR history. His teams now have... 267 cup victories that is one short of tying petty enterprises for the all-time record and oh by the way circuit of the americas coming up this weekend i hear chase elliott's pretty good at road courses he hasn't ever win this year the only hendrick driver who doesn't have a win so i'd say life is pretty good for rick hendrick right now jeff on a lot of levels well I, listen i think too i think for rick i i and i think anybody right yeah. but but Rick's a very competitive person, and you know I, he did not like hearing that his teams weren't winning. He did not like the scrutiny, right, that that we and others were giving him. He didn't like that, I and mean, I don't blame him. I wouldn't like it either. Uh, here's a guy that's won, you know, like I said before, he he was, you know, he had the team that we were all judging ourselves against for the majority of the time. There were times it wasn't, but for the majority of that time. He was the owner of the team that was the most successful. And when then you go through this down period, that's hard to take. I mean, it's yeah. way harder to have something and lose it, right, than to have never had it. And, yeah. and I think he's a very prideful guy. And I, I think that some of it's like, yep, y'all keep talking. You know what I mean? And I, well, I'll show you. But it's just so hard. I mean, it's just so hard to get. Talk a lot about multi-car teams, everybody pulling in the right direction. I think that's kind of wrong. I think the hardest thing about a multi-car team, I think the easiest thing for a multi-car team would be for everybody to pull in the same direction. The most difficult part about a multi-car team is that Alex Bowman does not want to drive the same setup as Kyle Larson. Right. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, hypothetically. Right. I don't right. know that they had different setups, but hypothetically. So how do you get every driver, every crew chief, the things that they need when they all might need something different. I mean, Stuart Haas is a great example of that, right? If everybody could just throw Kevin Harvick set up in and off they go, they'd all run better. But it's not that easy. Uh, I, 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 for years, Kevin Harvick and I drove almost the same exact setup in our Xfinity car. We both would win. And it got to the point in Cup, I couldn't even consider running. I mean, he, we actually took one of his cars one time and ran it the same way he ran it, and I couldn't come close to running the way he did. So how do you do, how do you, juggle all that and how do you give everybody what they need when they all need something different and you want them all to have the same thing that's the most economical most efficient way to run a race team is everybody has the same thing all the time doesn't work like that right so i think right. that's what's the hardest thing about owning a cup team a multi-car team is how do you give everybody what they need and serve the company at the same time very difficult. Well, Rick Hendrick has always preached, Jeff, that it's, it's about the people. Uh, he talked a little bit more about that in post-race yesterday. But the way we've kind of started like four or five years ago, uh, just putting all the engineers in one place, putting all the crew chiefs in one place, taking our best folks like Ron Malik, and they, they're in charge of this part of the vehicle, and Chad's there in the shop, and you got Jeff Andrews. And uh, I don't think we've ever – well, I know we don't. I've never – we've never had – the focus on four 
maybe we wanted to, maybe we tried to. It's rewarding to see and to see uh, Marshall and uh, Jeff Andrews, Chad, the crew chiefs, uh, all of the folks working, and Chevrolet. So there's a lot of things that have come together. I think the future is really bright for us. And uh, you just have, you know, there's nothing that beats teamwork and uh, you're stronger together. I, that's been my philosophy on the automobile side and in the racing side. And uh, I was told early on that I never won a championship having multiple cars. So uh, it's worked. And But it's all about people. I don't care what kind of business you're in. It doesn't make any difference. It, it's it, people people that make the difference. I think that the fact that he now has this many cup victories is on the cusp of, again, of becoming all-time leader uh, in cup victories. This is sort of uh, indicative or maybe validation of, of the way he runs his business. And I think it's interesting, Kyle Larson said afterward that- We all know that that milestone is out in front of us. Um, we know that it's really important to Mr. H, mentions it almost every time I feel like I talk to him. So I hope we can get there quickly. I hope I'm, the driver to do it, break that record whenever we get to it. I'll just ask, what's it like? I mean, again, you were part of that that Roush juggernaut when they were rattling off finishes such as these. What What's it like, I guess, to be in the walls of that organization when you're doing things like this and being so dominant as a team? And you know, I know you didn't drive for Rick Hendrick, but what do you think it's like for for those drivers and you know the hundreds of people who work for that team right now being a part of this? It's just it's a it's an incredible feeling because you know, like I said a minute ago, is that the the car owners want everybody, you know, you might be, a, you may be working on this car, but the car owners want them a Hendrick employee or yeah. a whatever employee, right? And so when you have a, when you're having success and everyone's having success, it just, everybody feeds on each other. And then you want to be the best there, right? So that, that competition internally, if done correctly, makes everybody better. Uh, I was fortunate we finished, um, when I was at Childress, we finished first, second, and third at Dover, at a, a Bristol one time. And, you know, going into the shop, I was fortunate enough to win a race, but when we went in that went into the shop on Monday morning, it was a completely different feel from a feel from a race in which one guy ran third, another guy ran eighteenth, and another guy ran seventh. It was a completely different feel. Mm -hmm. uh, where everybody was just, man, like we know what we're doing. We we got it going on. I'm part of something special. That's, that's hard to replace. You can tell people all you want, right? <laughs> but ultimately, it's about, it's about the results you get. And, and anytime you're having company-wide result, confidence just goes through the roof for everybody. So Rick Hendrick's probably going to have more victories than any team owner in NASCAR history. He had four championships with Jeff Gordon, seven with Jimmy Johnson. Are we ready to crown him probably as best team owner in NASCAR history? I mean, the stats sort of bear it out at this point. Well, in, in my driving era, it's no brainer. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it's, you know, when you start talking about petty enterprise yeah. and all that, like, whew, we're going, you know, <laughs> but, but yes, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile conversation and, and, and it's so hard to compare, you know, if you think about petty enterprise when they were having their success, it's two different sports, mm -hmm. you know, it's two mm -hmm. completely different sports. Um, you know, it's so difficult to compare them. So I don't, you know, because they're so different, it's hard for me to say, yes, 100%. Like, that is the team right. of all time. Uh, but certainly, certainly, you have to consider 
Rick Hendrick being one of the best car owners in the history of the sport. No yeah, doubt. You, you can't really do a, an apples to apples comparison of yeah. Hendrick to like Holman Moody because like you said, completely different eras, but 37 years into Hendrick Motorsports and the future still looks extremely bright. Chase Elliott's the only guy who doesn't have a victory and, and all these, other, he's the defending series champion and now Larson wins and William Byron and his early 20s, he's winning. Alex Bowman gets his second victory, and Rick Hendrick is saying after the race last night that they're talking about a multi-year extension. So all four of these guys, it seems like we're going to learn very soon, or be with this team beyond 2021. DJ said it, I think, right here on this set for NASCAR America a couple weeks ago. He feels like this team could be in place for a decade with this driver lineup, which that's got to be scary if you're the rest of the teams in the cup garage. Well, I think that's important. I I think, you know, when you're trying to build long-term success, I think it's important to have a young group or a mixture and with a young guy somewhere in the pipeline that's going to replace your experienced guy. You know, Joe Gibbs had it for a while. You know, they they had a very young lineup and and they were all very good. Uh, I think the key to it, though, if you're going to bring young people in, you have to understand that they're going to take some time to develop. And... I think that's what Rick's done with Alex. Rick's done it with all of them, really. Rick's done, you know, they've given Chase Elliott an opportunity to make mistakes, become a champion. William Byron kind of, I would say, got off to a slower start in his cup career than most people would have thought he was going to have. But if you're going to do it, you got to stick with it, yeah. right? If yeah. you're going to give a young driver, you, you, you can't, like look at it two years down the road and say, well, you're not competing, you're not performing. No kidding, right? (laughs) So, and and I think his patience, I think his patience has been really important. And just convincing his sponsors, look, we have a plan and let's see this plan through. And now he's coming out of the other end of it, right? Coming out of the other end of it with somebody, a group of people that could be working together for, 10 years. And I think that's important too, because if the drivers know each other and they push each other and they're, they get along, and even if they don't, they don't have to be best friends, but they have respect for each other, they build off of each other too. So you have a decision to make as a car owner, right? And sometimes those decisions get very, very difficult. Yeah. Like, what do, you, what do you do if you're Joe Gibbs? Two guys that are, you know, I don't want to say old, but you know, for certainly less years ahead of them than behind them, but they're performing. Like you can't say, well, you know, you're young, you're old, and you're, you're you know, yeah. if you weren't performing, then you could, you know, right. make a change. But you don't take Martin Truex Jr. out. You don't take Denny Hamlin out because, because of an age they are. 40. Yeah, they right. both just turned 40, but they might be driving better than they ever have. Correct. Yeah. So, you, so, <laughs> it, so, but at some point it'll, it'll flip, right? At some yeah. point it'll flip. And, and it always does for all of us. I don't know why, what, when, I don't understand it. I don't know why. But it does. It flips for all of us. And those are difficult decisions. I, I, think that, I think that race fans need to understand that, you know, owning a race team, although it's not as public in regard to trades and, and who you hire as it is in other sports, it's no different than other sports And that you have to have the right group of people together at the right stages in their career with a plan that makes sense, right? If you're, a, if you're an NFL team and you draft a quarterback, you draft a rookie quarterback and you say, I'm going to start him year one. He's not going to play the way he's going to play 10 years from now. Like you can't expect him to do. So you have to build things around him to help him, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the same thing in this sport is, you know, experienced drivers need, a, need something different in a team than young drivers need. Experienced drivers 
to be blunt, you don't give them a lot of time. If they're not performing, <laughs> <laughs> but young drivers, if you hire them, if you, if you hire them, you, you got to give them enough time. And, yeah. and that's, that's what I think that Rick's done a really nice job with his group of drivers. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. Like, it's a great point. It's 10-dimensional chess, like 10 years in the future, not just with your drivers, but what crew chiefs you're pairing them with. And again, talking about that chemistry magic that Rick Hendrick has, he put Alex Bowman with crew chief Greg Ives, and I think he saw something that, that worked between the two of them. And you, you look now at Bowman's two victories this year, both essentially come on, Richmond was more of a pit call by Ives, but certainly Ives is responsible for that pit crew, and Alex Bowman won at Dover because his pit crew turned the fastest pit stop of the 2021 season, 12.1 seconds. It's interesting, Jeff, I, I just want to read you these stats. Last seven races for Bowman in the 2021 season in Cup, 22nd, 34th, 1st, 38th, 18th, 17th, last week at Darlington, and then 1st at Dover. So he's got two victories, but sandwiched around five really kind of nondescript finishes. And Greg Ives said after the race that... You know, he, he talked about Darlington, and we were up in the lounge, and we are trying to figure out how... You know, right after a race, you definitely don't want... You don't want to talk, but we were able to. And, you know, I told him, hey, pump the guys up. You know, get get involved in the... And pump them up and he did and and i was in a situation where you know i was upset and frustrated with uh the car's performance and and you need, needed him to you know do what he needed to do so he did a good job overcoming the last few weeks and you know ultimately that's because we have a, a relationship not only with him and i but uh throughout the whole race team you're a driver who's certainly known for his leadership qualities um analyze that for me that, that greg ives goes to his 20 something driver and says look i know you're only what, five or six years into this and you're young and these are guys who are older than you, but I need you to be a vocal leader, you know, and he's, Alex Bowman is an introvert. This is asking him to step outside his comfort zone a little bit, but he did it and it worked. Well, I, I think, I think as a driver, you have to be a leader in some form or fashion. And being a leader is not the same for everybody, right? Being a leader uh, means different things to different teams and different teams need different types of leadership. Minute to minute, the driver doesn't need to be the leader. The driver needs to be the leader in regard to uh, enthusiasm, excitement, passion, those types of things. Uh, that's a different kind of leadership than a crew chief needs to be a leader or whomever it is that the team is getting their marching orders from, right? It's a different kind of leadership. I agree with you. I think I would view Alex, Bo Alex Bowman as an introvert. I don't view him as that guy that's going <laughs> right. to be out there, you know, let's go, come on. Right. I just don't think that's him. But it is important. It is important. The thing about leadership, I think, is that crew guys unlike every other sport, and I think this is one of the things that's really difficult in our sport, the really high-paid quarterback is in the same locker room, in the same fitness center, in the same training facility as the lowest-paid guy in the t on the team. Right. It doesn't work like that in racing. <laughs> right. Like, there is a true divide Right, because they have two completely multiple different jobs. The driver's job is so different. So in many cases, you don't train with your guys. You don't. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. whole nother game. And a divide that's been widened in the COVID era, where these guys don't get to spend hardly any time right. with them at the track. Right. Yeah. So, so what I believe that what the team guys need to know is that you're one of them, hmm. right? And that there's always been this kind of wall just because you live two completely different lives. And there's always been this wall. And it happens with pit crews too. Pit crews come in like pre-COVID, like the, you know, the, the travel team goes and they travel and they work on the car 
on Thursday. They work on the car on Friday. They work on the car on Saturday. They're in the shop Tuesday and Wednesday or whatever the schedule is. And they prepare the car for Sunday. And then they get out of the way when the race starts. And the pit crew guys, they get the limelight, right? Yeah. yeah. And hardly anybody knows the guy that changed the rear gear in practice. But everybody knows the guy to change the right rear tire. Yeah. And he spends the least amount of time working on the car. Yeah. Like, so there's this, there's always, there's this divide between the engine shop and the race shop, between pit crews and the travel teams. Like, there's all these divides because they all have these big different jobs. So as a driver, I think it's what's so important is to bring all that together, right? To bring that team together. We are us. We are a team, right? And I think that's just a huge part. And, and you as a driver, when you screw up and you're going to screw up, you're, what you're wanting is your guys to have your back, right? And you need to have theirs when they mess up because they're going to mess up. And then you all take ownership in it. And the most, the most beautiful thing in the world is when you all take ownership in something and it works. And you're standing in victory lane, right? And the week before, you were horrible. You ran bad. You had bad pit stops. You drove bad. You had bad strategy. We all were terrible, and then today we all put it together. That's, that's a great thing. That's a great thing and a great thing to build on. But you don't get there without picking everybody up in those down times. And, and a driver can be a big part of that. And because he's separate from the, separated from the team more than the crew chief, it becomes, it's a better voice. If, if, you know, a lot of football coaches lose their job just because they've said this thing, the same thing over and over and over and over, and people get tired of hearing it. They don't hear the driver as much as you hear the crew chief. Well, you're someone who I certainly would have expected to have heard if I was on your team as a, as a team member. I certainly wouldn't put you in the introvert class. You've worked with many crew chiefs uh, over your career. You worked with you know, Paul Andrews, Frankie Stoddard, uh, Scott Miller. D did you ever have a conversation like that, like what Ives had with Bowman, where, hey, we need to figure out how to get these guys motivated, or was it just something you always just sort of understood to do? You know, I always, I, I liked working on cars, and I liked, you know, I, I enjoyed that part when it was appropriate, right? And, yeah. and uh, it became not appropriate. It was no longer the right thing to do, but, but so I always connected, I felt like I connected with the pit guys because I could have just as easily been one of them. Yeah. Right. And I, I got lucky enough to drive, but there was a time in my career where I would have just been really happy building race cars for a living. And so I always had like really appreciate the work that they did. Um, I think the, the biggest moment for me in trying to, to be a leader and it ultimately didn't work out, but we had a big lead in the championship point. We were in really good shape. Scott was a crew chief and we went to Martinsville and broke a motor. And you know, we pull in the garage area there at Martinsville and the media's everywhere. And I just, I said, give me a minute. And I got everybody on the team. We went in the hauler, shut the doors. This didn't work out the way we wanted to, but it's in our hands. We can still win this championship. We, and I think we left that track not believing we were beaten. We left that track 100% believing that we could overcome it. We ended up not overcoming it. We had a, a, a we, we actually blew a tire the next week at Texas, ended it for us. But we had a bad day, but I think we all left that track knowing, knowing it, was, it had gotten much more difficult with only a few races left, but believing we could. And I believe we could, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to make sure everybody else believed we could. And, and I felt like we did. I felt like we walked out of that hauler and loaded that, ha that car up on that hauler to go home, but everybody was upbeat, as upbeat as we could be. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. That's a great story. Uh, and I think that's certainly relatable to, to nowadays. One thing that might not quite be as relatable, Jeff, that I want to get your take on is, uh, again, like the, the pit stops here. I, pit stops have always been important in NASCAR and certainly were during your time, but I found this really interesting. Alex Bowman was saying after the race that Greg Ives really gets on his case about rolling times, which is in and out of the pits. And yes, uh, Alex Bowman won this race because he had a faster pit stop than Kyle Larson, but what might have gotten overlooked is he, he was faster rolling time than Kyle Larson. Alex Bowman said, Yeah, Greg yells at me whenever I don't maximize my lights and my segments and my rolling times. And- average speed charts at Hendrick Motorsports. We really like charts. So in our meetings, we talk about about charts and there's a lot of charts. And sometimes I look bad on those charts and that's when Greg yells at me, (laughs) but there's a lot of different pit road charts and ways to look at it. And he's just trying to do whatever he can to help me maximize each and every area. So I feel like I'm gaining on it. You know, there are definitely guys that do a little bit better of a job than me right now still, but that 48 pit crew makes up for it a little bit because they are super fast each and every week. At Hendrick Motorsports, we really like charts. In our meetings, we talk about charts. There's lots of charts. Um, <laughs> so for you as a driver, I, I know that there was no EFI for the majority of your career. You weren't looking at data all the time, inundated with all of this, like, yeah. here's where you're getting beat. What do you think it's like for drivers nowadays? I mean, obviously Bowman used it to his advantage and, and figure out how to get better in the pits. But on one hand, I, I think, wow, this is great. They have all this data. On the other hand, I sort of feel sorry for these guys that, I mean, they get criticized on every facet of their game now in a way maybe they didn't when you were driving. Well, some part of me is jealous. Yeah. You know, part of me is like- You, you would have thrived on it. We did a lot yeah. of guessing. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like I, so I don't know that I would have thrived on it. Like yeah. I was a little more hardheaded than I probably needed to be because we didn't have that technology. And I kind of knew that when people were trying to give me information, it was halfway information. You know what I mean? It was somebody with a stopwatch, you know, like, you know, is, is that really accurate? And, I, and my, just the way my brain works, analyzing something with poor data is give a bad result. So, so but in today's world, the data is indisputable, right? So if, if a driver today, in my opinion, if he's not willing to sit down and look at every single thing that he can be better at, then he doesn't need to be in this series. Like he doesn't need to be in this sport because that's what it's turned into. Yeah. You, you have to have the ability and the people around you to analyze data and then apply it and, and not take it 
like I probably wouldn't wouldn't have been as good because I didn't like that information, that negative information. Like I wanted positive reinforcement. It's hard not to take it personally, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, but yeah. but again, I I would have had to adjust to today's world. But today's driver, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it is. And and if you're not gonna if you're not gonna maximize it, then you're not gonna have success. It's just it's just that simple. Now what does drive me crazy is when a team will tell a driver how they're supposed to drive. Like they'll watch Kevin Harvick go around the racetrack somewhere that he's really good and they'll say, Well, he's on the gas here and on the brake here. And stop. Stop. <laughs> like that's so hard to do. Yeah. And like every driver has a driving style. Like, how do we maximize that driving style, right? Because if, if it was as easy as just saying, okay, copy Denny Hamlin's driving style at somewhere at Martinsville, then everybody would run the same as Denny Hamlin. It's not that easy because the driver, you know, it's in a video game. The reference aren't just your eyes. It's what you feel, right? And I can't feel what Kevin Harvick feels. I can't feel what Denny Hamlin feels. So... I think it's a mistake for a team to say, here's where he's on the gas, here's where he's off the gas. I think it's appropriate to say, here's where his speeds are, right? This is where his, he's faster in these sections of the racetrack than you are. How can you figure out how to go fast in those sections of the racetrack? Because if you watch Denny Hamlin's SMT on a day where he's winning and you watch Martin Truex's SMT on a day where he's running second, you're like, they're so different and they're running the yeah. same speed, right? So. I do think that's I do think that's a mistake uh, to try to tell someone how to drive. You need to tell them where they need to be better, and almost and you can give them that information, but the driver needs to sort that out uh, because there's a lot of ways to win a race. There's a lot of ways to drive a race car, and that's a very very difficult thing. And I I I, I knew that was coming, <laughs> you know, with all the data. Yeah. Like you know, we used to have data at tests, right? We'd have data at tests, and we'd sit down and we'd look. And, you know, I was fortunate to be teammates with some great race car drivers. We'd go to a test somewhere, and I'd be really fast. They'd be really fast. And how we were doing it was different. Matt Kenseth was way different than the way Mark Martin drove a race car. They both won races. They both competed at a high level, both Hall of Famers. It would have been a mistake to teach Mark Martin to try to drive like Matt Kenseth. Yeah, a lot of different ways to skin a cat or to make a car go fast. And I think if Hendrick is looking at the SMT data for Kyle Larson, they're not going to be necessarily critical of what he did, even though he led the most laps, didn't win. Um, after the race, he said, I, I honestly don't know if there was anything I could have done differently to, to win the race um, after we got came out second on pit road. I would choose the top behind him and get to second every time. You know, Maybe I could have chose the bottom one restart, but I still don't think I would have gotten stayed with him to his inside or anything like that. Probably would have fell back to third or so. So I feel like we maximized our day. We were all just so equal. I think any of the four of us could have been out in the lead and that person probably would have won. So we were all equal and, and their, their picker did an awesome job, but um, our picker has been amazing all year too. So um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not disappointed or upset about this second because I feel like there wasn't anything else I could do. But I want to get your reaction, Jeff, to this is now and this stunned me. We, we discussed this on NASCAR America here last week. At that time, Kyle Larson had 24 second place finishes. Now he's got 25 career second place finishes. Seven wins. That's but, crazy. 25. I mean, 25 runner-up finishes. And, you know, clearly this one wasn't as upsetting to him as it was in at Atlanta when he let that one get away to Blaney earlier this year. But still, like, how does a driver get past that on some level? 
Well, you know, I, listen, I agree with him. I think he did everything right. I, yeah. I think that, you know, when I watch that race and I think picking, picking the outside lane, that actually, like, it's so hard at Dover to leave on the inside and try to be even with the guy or even ahead. You almost got to be ahead of the guy getting into turn one if you're going to beat him off two. Um, that's, you're most likely going to lose the spot rather than gain it. Um, so I thought he did that right, and I also thought he got great launches. Like, I went back and watched all the restarts, and I thought he launched really, really well. One time in particular, he, I think it was the next to last restart, Alex left well, kind of sort of a hole, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Kyle got a great launch. They drove into turn one, and Kyle is all over him. He's got Bowman loosened up a little bit, and it, Bowman just never gave enough space and had enough grip to be able to carry momentum. And then they drove into three, and Larson's on his ass. I mean, he is right there. And they get in the corner, and Bowman gets up the track, but not – I mean, he needed to be up the track that much further. If he was up the track that much further, I think we see Kyle Larson stuff it in there, and whatever happened, happened. But he just didn't – he gave him seven-eighths of a groove, not a groove. But but – it just wasn't there. You know what I mean? It was yeah. so close to being there, but it wasn't there. I, I just, I don't, I think sometimes you just get beaten. It hurts. It really hurts when you lead that many laps and you feel like you have the best car and you got beat on, beaten off pit road. And I bet you, if he would have had the lead, he probably would have won the race, but he didn't. And when you have two cars that are that equal, what do you do? And I, but I thought he did. I thought he did masterful job on restarts. He j- it just wasn't quite enough. Do you think it gets on his nerves at all that he probably does get reminded, yes. hey, 25 second place finishes? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the only knock to me, the, the only knock that people can say about Larson is, you know, for a while there, he, he and Steve and I talked about it a lot in the booth, he drove like a sprint car racer. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. couldn't put all the laps together. And he steadily has gotten that where he can put all the laps together. And so I think some of those are were him trying, those second play finishes were him trying to connect all the dots and how do I do a 500-mile race, right? Like, how do I do this? And because I think he, he's an aggressive driver, I think some of that works for him and some of it works against him. Um, and that's the only knock I think you could have on Larson is that he's, I wouldn't consider him a closer, like if you like if you give Kevin Harvick, you give Kevin Harvick the lead, you give Kyle Busch the lead, like those guys are gonna they're closers. Uh, that's the only knock you could say about Larson is he hadn't quite figured that out. But it's right there. You know what I mean? It's yeah. right there. It was, it was not enough. Listen, if I was a car owner, I'd hire him in a minute, right? <laughs> it's not enough for me to say, well, I wouldn't hire him. Uh, he would be he would be in my top three or four picks uh, for sure. Uh, but but. That's one thing. You know, there's been a couple races this year, the Daytona Road Course race. I thought he could have won that race. Yeah. He had the best tires. He overstepped his bounds a little bit. I kind of put that off as he was just, you know, we all know what he went through. He's back in a good ride. He's in the best equipment he's ever driven in, pushing a little too hard. I get, you know, I give him that. But that's the one thing that I think Kyle Larson's got to do is he's got to just find a way to close better. But on this day, I don't, I don't, I don't think he did. Any, I don't think yeah. he could have done anything different other than moving. Right, which he's not going to do. Cause which he's probably not. Well, yeah. you know what? I don't know who he'd have done if it was anybody. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, when I, so when I think about Kyle Larson, and you know, I don't view him as a guy that's just going to try to move you out of the way. I just he might slide you. He might 
put it in a hole somewhere that other people wouldn't. But he's just not going to go in there and, and, and you know, pack you pack you in the, in, in the rear bumper. I just don't view him as that kind of driver. So I don't I don't think that that he would have done that to to anybody. I think he would have driven anybody the same way he drove Bowman. I think you're right. As long as he keeps running up front, he told us right here on Motormouths last week that he feels like he could probably have three or four wins this year. I'm sure. He's going to get that many uh, by the end of 2021. We've talked a lot about Hendrick Motorsports, uh, but one thing Rick Hendrick mentioned, Jeff, after the race was that he felt the alliance with Richard Childress Racing might be overlooked as being critical to Hendrick's improvement. And I want to ask you about this because I think I heard you say it on NASCAR America last week or the week before. That Welcome North Carolina hub, two RCR-affiliated cars in the top 10 in Tyler Reddick and Daniel Suarez of Trackhouse. We've got news that Colleg Racing is probably going to start a cup team. They're up there. you got Richard Petty Motorsports up there. Again, we already mentioned Trackhouse and, of course, Richard Childress Racing being the, the foundation up there. Is Dover more proof of, uh, I think, what I heard you say? that? Yeah. This could be an emerging, I and mean, don't overlook, everybody wants to talk about Charlotte, but Welcome North Carolina seems to be alive and well right now. It is, and, and, and the, the fear I have for them is, you know, in my opinion, one of the things that's been difficult for RCR is where they're located. If you get too many teams, it's hard to get enough people. You know what I mean? It, it, it becomes difficult. I think, I may be wrong, but I think with the, with the new car, the next-gen car, I think that becomes less of an issue. Uh, but you know, when you a lot of people live in this area and they have to drive there, it's an hour drive, 45 minute drive. I know some people watching are like, that's nothing. But for down here, that's a long way. Um, it's far. Trust <laughs> it's not so, a fun drive. So I think that sometimes works against them. Yeah. But Richard Childress, I tell you, listen, this is what I, this is what I love Richard Childress. He's a really cool guy. And one of the things that I have so much respect for Richard is he has adapted. Think about how long he's been a car owner. And think about how many car owners have not made it in that amount of time. Richard has adapted in almost every situation. I'm not saying he's always had the winning cars. I'm not saying he's always been the, the, the championship team, but he's always been able to look a little further ahead than most owners and stay ahead of the curve a little bit. And that's what he's done with this. I mean, you know, one point, you know, he's down to two cup teams. You know, he had four, he's down to two. You know, Spinnerty team, you know, all, everything's shrinking, 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 right? And on paper, it still is. But in actuality, you know, he's been able to keep things going by bringing in other teams, creating affiliations, doing those kind of things. Richard's a smart guy. Yeah. Richard's a, Richard's a street smart guy that knows racing, knows business, knows people. I, told, I said a couple weeks ago or last week, you know, I think Austin Dillon and his team are the most improved in, in the series. And, and I think that Richard Childress racing is poised for 2022 to be really good for them. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah, don't sleep on uh, RCR and welcome. There definitely some good things happening there. Talked a lot about Dover, Jeff. Before we get out of here, I just want to ask you a little about Circuit of the Americas, Austin, Texas. This feels like the most anticipation for a new track that I can recall in 20 years, going back to probably Chicagoland and Kansas in 2001. Your thoughts going into a, a new ro road course on the schedule, a new market for NASCAR. Obviously, Chase Elliott being a, a big favorite, given he, he's been the road course king here uh, the last couple of years and no one's raced there before. What are you expecting to see this weekend? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, coming over here, I was on the phone. I was on the phone trying to figure out where, where do I sit? Where do I park? Where, where is this place? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when's the last time that happened? 
I mean, like the last new track was Kentucky, but everybody knew Kentucky. Yes. That was 2011. I mean, seriously, it was probably 2001 in Kansas, right? That was, I mean, that was probably it. But, but like, I don't know. I, I don't even know. We, we were talking earlier, like, I've been watching a lot of races from the grandstand. I know where the, how to get in the grandstands. I know where the parking <laughs> lot is. I, know, I don't yeah. even know where gate to go in, right? <laughs> so to me, that's exciting. To me, you know, the, the teams don't know. A lot of drivers, a lot of drivers have been out on the course. Uh, in one way or another, they found a way to get on track with some type of other series, some type of school, some type of something. So the, the drivers are more familiar with the track than you would imagine. <laughs> some of those corners, the way that track is laid out, uh, what makes, what, in my opinion, what makes really good road races are technical corners, long straightaway, heavy braking zone, because that's where the passing is going to happen. You have to have breaking zones. And I think Texas is that kind of track. I think Coda could be pretty amazing. I think it, it, you know, in, the, in a lot of the corners, too, like we, if you think about the corners we mostly have in, uh, on our road courses, they're short, they're kind of short corners. These corners, they go forever. Like some mm-hmm. of these corners, are, they last forever. Yeah. Interesting to see how that, that impacts the race. I, I just think the fact that we don't know. You and a lot of other people, Chase Elliott's a favorite. How do y'all know that? Like, <laughs> I'm just going off of, no one has raced there. And if I look at, like, who's good on road courses? There's one guy who's clearly pretty He's good on, really road, good courses, on right? road courses. So, yeah, it's completely yeah. uninformed opinion. But, it's, yeah, so, but that, so, that, that's it. Yeah, the unknown's fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, the unknown's is. fun. I mean, I, I, I didn't know where to stay. I don't know where to eat. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I was in, I was in uh, Dover last weekend. I knew where to go eat. Yeah. I had a few choices, right? I had a few choices, and I actually... Uh, text Mike back. They say, "Okay, what's the choice today?" You know. So, but here, I mean, it's just all brand new. Yeah. And it's a fun city. Everybody says it's a fun city. It's a it's an exciting time for our country. It's an exciting time for our sport. There are a lot of positive things going on with, you know, some restrictions being lifted. With, you know, and and been really good racing this year. It's just a lot of excitement going to that track. And 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 I think that I think the unknowns. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's really going to be fascinating. You know, Saturday's a doubleheader. Yeah, and practice and qualifying. So you got yeah. you got Friday Xfinity and, and truck practice. You got Saturday. You got Cup practice. Yep. Xfinity and and truck qualifying. You got those two races. I mean, you know, that's a full day. And when's the last time we had that? Yeah. You know, when's the last time we yeah. had that much going on on track? So. It's, it's just, it's, I mean, do I go to the race and watch the truck race? Do I go, like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, there's just so many unknowns. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I looked this up because I just had to. You've been to some inaugural events in your day. Texas, Las Vegas. Well, Texas obviously was memorable because not only was it the first race, but it was your first cup win. Texas, Las Vegas, Fontana, Homestead, Kansas, Chicago, Kentucky. You were there for the first cup race, all of those tracks. Indy. Indy. Did you have Indy on there? I did not have Indy yeah, on there. That's eight. Indy. That's eight. So what strikes you about like an inaugural event? Like is the coolest part like the unknown of like being on track or like to your point, like is it, I'm gonna go see Austin, Texas and learn about like this new market that hopefully NASCAR will be in for a while. Well, that's a new part of my life. <laughs> you didn't worry about that stuff before. I, I went, when we went to Indy for the first time, I didn't even know what the hell downtown Indy looked like and I didn't care. <laughs> like I just needed to know where my room was and how to get in what gate. That's all I that's cared all about. Matters. And that was before they told the hotel down. I got to stay in the original the hotel, you know, they're, they're yeah. right on track. So there's an excitement, there's an enthusiasm from everybody. Yeah. Right, and that the first race somewhere, there's so many unknowns, and there's just it's a it's a new opportunity for that part of the world, that part of the you know, that community, 
the fa- there's an excitement from the fans, an unknown from the, I mean, it's just a different feel. It's, it really is a different feel. And, and every single time, I know Texas had some, some launching issues with parking and all those things, but every single time was really positive energy, like a very, very positive energy, you know, coming from the fans, coming from the media, uh, coming from everybody. Uh, sponsors, sponsors love new, new opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Austin's an, emer- an emerging market, great for our sponsors. So it, it's, it's, it's a really positive energy. And, and, and that's the best way I know how to describe it, and an opportunity. So anytime you go somewhere for the first time, there's one chance to win the first race. That's right. Remember when we were going to North Wilkesboro? This is the last race in North Wilkesboro. Yeah. You wanted to win that race really badly because it was, that was the last time. And, and those, are, those are key moments in, in a person's career where you can say, I was the first guy to do that. Certainly a key moment in your career, April of 97 at it Texas was. Motor Speedway. Very big moment. Very big moment for NASCAR. We're looking forward to Coda. Thanks for being here, man. Enjoy Thank you, man. It's fun. Our thanks again to NASCAR and NBC analyst Jeff Burton for joining the NASCAR and NBC podcast to talk about the May 16th race at Dover International Speedway. And thanks as well to NBC Sports producers Aaron Feldstein and Emily Conboy for helping with the coordination and recording of this podcast. Also, thanks to Dustin Long and Chris Estrada at NASCAR Talk for asking some of the questions in the post-race interviews that yielded some of the audio you heard interspersed in my conversation with Jeff Burton. As always, you can check out Dustin and Chris's writing at NBCSports.com NASCAR. And as you heard, this episode also was taped on camera, and you can check out the video version of the NASCAR NBC podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. Subscribe while you're there. Tons of great video content posting daily in that spot, including full replays of the NASCAR America Motormouth shows on Peacock. Those air every Monday and Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and the replays live forever at the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. I'm headed to the world's greatest racetrack this week to cover practice and qualifying for the Indy 500, There will be plenty of coverage on Peacock Premium, NBCSN, and NBC for the rest of the month from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So please head over to Motorsports Talk at NBCSports.com slash motors for the full slate of what to expect for the Indy 500. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. 
The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.